Scripture today comes from Romans 5, 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. I want to say thank you to Adrian for preaching last week. Haven't listened to the sermon yet, so looking forward to listening to it. Must also say to you that this sermon series on worry is one that God is using in my life in a personal way, in a tremendous way. Um, uh, I truly uh, believe that, uh, and, and, and I say this, which produces tremendous accountability to you, but uh, I truly believe that this is uh, one of the things that God is revealing in my own life and, uh, and uh, getting rid of this year, and I am so glad. Uh, so this morning we come to uh, this passage in Romans 5, and as we do, and as I was preparing this sermon, um, uh, I was reminded of, of Russian nesting dolls. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, you've seen these things, right? And so you've got a big doll, and you open it up, and a, a little bit of a smaller one, and they just keep getting smaller. You see the tiny, tiny doll in the middle. And you can't get to the tiny doll in the middle unless you open them all up, right? You have to take it uh, uh, one doll at a time. This passage is just like that. Uh, the, the tiny doll in the middle is suffering. But if you just, uh, you know, take a hammer and beat the Russian nesting doll to death and pull out the tiny little suffering doll in the middle, it will make no sense to us. But if we'll take it one doll at a time, uh, we'll, it, it'll make sense. So uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. So, so each point builds on the other. That's, that's my point. Uh, first of all, um, and there are, I think, five or six of them, uh, so get ready to write down. Uh, just walking through the passage, since we have been justified, since we have been justified, what does that mean? Um, it, it's a term that's used a lot in, in gospel-centered churches like ours, so what does it mean to be justified? It means to uh, render righteous. Since we have been declared to be right before God. Uh, some people have said for years, just as if you had, uh, had never sinned, that's justification. But I love Bridges in his book, Bookends. He says justification is just as if you had always obeyed. Uh, it, that cast it in a positive light. Uh, when you and I come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, not later when you've done some things to impress him, but at that moment, he justifies you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And in God's eyes, you are just as if you had always obeyed. Just as if you had always gotten it right. And so I saw that uh, on the plane trek back, just in stark contrast uh, this week on Thursday. 
Uh, our long flight from Paris to Atlanta, uh, anytime you're on a long flight, you're concerned about who's going to be beside you. And so the guy beside me, his name was Koshik. And I couldn't have asked for a better flying mate. Uh, Koshik, uh, I was on the aisle. Koshik was on the window. And Koshik is from India. He uh, was returning to Arizona State University to uh, finish his master's in construction engineering. For some reason, when Koshik sat down beside me, he felt he could just spill and, and so he did. And I said, where are you from? He told me, where are you going? He told me, and then he said, I must admit that I cried when I left my family. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Koshik. Um, he said, yes, it's so hard. Uh, I'm the only kid who's left home like this and gone so far away, and it's very hard on my mom and dad. I said, I'm sure it is, Koshik. And so we talked about that a bit, about our lives. And, uh, and then he just openly shared about his faith. And so Koshik is a Jainist. I'd never heard of it. And with his permission, I took notes. I said, uh, when he began to describe his faith to me, I just said, Koshik, uh, if you don't mind, can, can I write down what you're saying to me? And he said, sure. And so Koshik, uh, he says, we have several values uh, in, in Jainism. And I see it as a form of Hinduism. He would argue differently. Uh, but he says, our values are live and let live. Uh, what do you mean, Koshik? He said, well, we, he had a vegetarian diet, uh, you know, on the plane. And, and he said, well, we don't kill any kind of animal at all. Uh, why is that? He said, well... Uh, when we die, if we're not cleansed of all our sins, then we are reincarnated into animals. And so you can't kill an animal because the soul of someone is in that animal. And I said, okay, explain. Um, he said, well, I said, how do you get cleansed of sin? He said, well, you, you sacrifice. He said, so you sacrifice in order to get cleansed of your sins? You are constantly sacrificing something of value to you and that results in cleansing. And if by your death you haven't completely cleansed yourself of your sin, then you're reincarnated into an animal. And he said, uh, if you've been really bad, you, you go into a mosquito. Uh, and, and he said, uh, you know, they have short lives. And he said, so really bad sinners. I said, so if a mosquito were to land on you, would you kill it? He said, no, I would not. I would get it away from me. Uh, we don't kill any animals. And so uh, I had just eaten portions of an animal in front of him. And uh, I thought, oops. <laughs> you know, like I wonder who he thinks I just ate. Uh, you know, and so I just listened. And he said, other values are karma. Uh, what you do will eventually come back to you. Uh, your soul does not die until all your sins are cleansed. Uh, he described uh, a monks who he thinks are able to cleanse their sins in their lifetime. They take uh, oaths of poverty, etc. Um, they have 24 gods that he worships. And uh, there are 24 gods... Um, 
uh, cannot do anything for him, he said. He said, no, the gods do nothing for us. We do everything for them. And I said, so, um, so how do you live your life? And here's what he said. He said, it's like there's an account. He said, for example, today, I've done nothing good. He said, but I have sinned several times already. So this is a super bright young man. He said, uh, I ate cheese, and cheese comes from an animal, and I shouldn't have done that. And then he described a couple of other sins. He said, so for today, I'm building a record of sin. And he said, I must learn to do some, I must find some way to do good or sacrifice something in order to try to cancel out my record of today. And he said, hopefully then I can end today even. And uh, I sat there, he's honestly, he's got to be one of the nicest persons I've ever met. And I said, well, thank you, you know, for, for sharing. I really appreciate that. Could I tell you about Christianity? And he said, yeah. He said, we don't judge anyone. So, sure. I said, well, at, like you, we believe the soul is most important. And I said, you call it karma, we call it consequences. Uh, you're all into righteousness, and so are we. I said, the commonalities between our faith are tremendous. You feel guilty when we sin, when you sin. We feel guilty when we sin, too. Uh, we want to be made right before God as you do. We feel sometimes our sins stack up like you feel that your sins stack up. I said, but have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? He said, yes, I have. I said, well, what we believe that's different from you is that when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, when he died on the cross, his righteousness, since he was the perfect son of God, when we receive him, we get that. And I said, Koshik, from that moment, there's no record. The record is clean and it's clear. And never again does God look at us and, and expect us to meet a record. It's gone. It's, it's as if we never sinned, Koshik. It's as if we always obeyed. And I said, you may find this strange, but I love you. I, I know that may be weird to you, but I love you as a follower of Jesus, and it breaks my heart that you live every day of your life with this list, and you're trying to... Just make sure you appease your gods. I said, your 24 gods may do nothing for you, but my God has done everything for me. Everything. He's done it all, Koshik. There's nothing I can do to get what he's given me. And he said, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I have no idea if Koshik's going to come to Christ but as I sat on that plane and, and we, we talked and later we, we, another round of food came and he, he committed sin, so I did too. He got an egg, I got meat. I figured we're just going to hell together. I just, 
mosquitoes, here we come, right? You know, I'm like, let's just, here we go, you know, here we go. The other thing I was able to say to Koshik, I'll save that. I, I want to save that. It's more fitting at the end. You can pray for Koshik. What a great kid. Since we have been justified, number two, we have peace with God. Aren't you glad? All right, so first nesting doll is we have been justified. Now it reveals the second one. We have peace with God. It's friendship. Uh, again, we have a tendency to view this in the negative, meaning that he's not mad at us anymore. Oh, that's so little. That's how Koshik would view his God, right? No, no, no. Don't ever, don't ever view our God like that. No, it's not. Peace with God isn't the absence of anger. Peace with God is the fullness of joy. Peace with Him is like everything you've ever wanted in your life. It's based on that Old Testament idea of shalom, which is wholeness. It's a way of living that, that you've never experienced anymore uh, before. It's what we would say is a reconciliation. It's relationship gone bad, and now it's good again, and, and it's good for good. Like, it's never not going to be bad. It's good for good because we've been justified, right? First, nesting doll is gone, and we have peace with God. I think sometimes uh, we as staff get to see what your, your giving does when you don't, aren't able to see it. The crew going to Israel was uh, next door the day of your departure, and you were all getting ready to leave. And to you, that was the most important thing of that day, of course. But I watched as this man and woman wove their way through you, and they got into Robin. And the reason they did is because Wanda comes to our wellness ministry every Wednesday. And uh, Wanda is... Uh, loving it. She's just so enjoying it. But she approached me a few weeks before Christmas and said, I have a son that I haven't seen in 20 years. And he lives in Louisiana, and for Christmas, all I want is to see my son. And he can't afford gas money to get here. Do you think you could help? And so, so Robin ran him down and we found him in Louisiana and he drives a cab and he's quite poor and Wanda's quite poor and so we made a way through a through a gas card to get him here and it was Wanda and her son weaving their way through all of you guys who were going to Israel to get to Robin to say thank you. And the smile on Wanda's face was amazing. That's what this is. It's reconciliation. It's, it's we're together again with God. Uh, the third nest in doll is, and since we have peace with God, we have access to God's grace. Uh, you might interpret this introduction. If you've ever wanted to meet someone but you weren't, you didn't know them well enough and you needed someone to introduce you, that's the word. You, you can't get in, right? You, you need somebody who can get you in. They know the person and so you say, hey, I need to talk to so-and-so or meet with so-and-so. They bring you in. That's the word access. We have access to God because Jesus brought us in. I think the best picture, honestly, in Scripture to me 
of this is found in the Old Testament. You see, uh, Saul and his son Jonathan were ultimately killed in a battle at Gilboa. And when they were killed there, uh, the, uh, the Philistines took them, King Saul and his son Jonathan, and uh, they, they uh, like put their bodies on the walls. It was an awful day in Israel's history. And there was a grandson of Saul by the name of Mephibosheth. When he was five years old when that happened, and when his nurse heard of it, since the custom was that the reigning king, if he was killed like that and died, and David was the new king, David had been anointed king probably six, seven years before this, the reigning king then, the new reigning king, would kill all family members. That was custom of, of, the, uh, of the king who had just died. So this nurse fled with Mephibosheth, and she dropped him and broke his legs. And so Mephibosheth spent the rest of his life limping. David becomes a king, and uh, years, uh, a few years pass when David becomes king, and when he does, uh, he asks for, is there anybody in Saul's family who's still alive? And uh, one of David's assistants found Mephibosheth. And so David brought him in, and Mephibosheth must have thought he would surely die. And so he comes cowering before David. And instead, David looked at him and said, Out of honor to, to Jonathan, my friend, you will have a place at my table. I love how Chuck Swindoll describes how dinner must have gone at King David's palace. King David and all his royalty uh, hosting international guests. And they're all seated at the grand banquet table when, when all of a sudden there, there's an empty seat and you can hear coming down the hall. And you listen. What is that sound? that and into the banquet hall limps Mephibosheth whispers oh that's King Saul's grandson who the, the king who who chased David for years out of jealousy yeah that's his grandson Mephibosheth limps in, finds his seat with royalty at the king's table. That's access. Every morning when we pray, we, don't we, we limp into the palace of God. Like nothing we bring of value. We, we just come with ourselves and our brokenness and our weaknesses and our fallacies and all the inconsistencies of our lives. And 
We sit at the king's table among royalty. Uh, We have access to God's grace. As a matter of fact, into this grace in which we stand. We stand in his grace. We sit at the king's table in grace. Not because of anything we have done. All right, so nest and doll number four. And since we have access to God's grace, we rejoice in hope of God's glory. We rejoice in hope of God's glory. Think about it. If we have come from the land of nothing, crippled in fear of losing our lives, and we are now seated at the king's table, uh, we've got something to rejoice about. Amen, church? We've come from nothing to everything. We've come in from being lost to being found. We've come out of darkness into light. We've come from hopelessness into hope. We have come from sorrow into joy, from sin into righteousness. We are new people sitting at the king's table, eating the king's food, and we did absolutely nothing to get ourselves there. Wow. We rejoice then in hope of God's glory, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Could you imagine Mephibosheth sitting down at the king's table? As he's sitting there, they pass over him and say, well, you can sit here, but you can't eat. That'd be absurd, wouldn't it? That would be absurd. No, no. Since we have Jesus, listen, church, you've got everything else you need. Everything else you need. We rejoice in hope of God's glory. Now we're getting close. We're getting close. Nest in doll number five. We rejoice in sufferings. We rejoice in sufferings. Now, do you you see why we had to start at the beginning? Do you get that? If we cannot rejoice in our justification, if we cannot go through, uh, let's go back through them again. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God. And since we have peace with God, we have access to his grace. And since we have God's great grace, we rejoice in God's other great gifts, even suffering. Even suffering. We don't rejoice because we're suffering. No. We rejoice because we're justified. All right? You would be a fool to rejoice because you're suffering. That's masochistic. It's a psychological problem. Oh, I'm suffering. Thank you, Jesus. No. But we rejoice in our suffering because we're justified, which gave us peace, which gives us access, which gives us rejoicing in God's grace and his other great gifts. And then it's almost like there's a tiny little set of nesting dolls in this one. And here it is. Why? We know. And, and please, that, that tiny little word's huge. Not feel, but know. So I'm going to talk to you about some things right in here that you may not feel when you're suffering but you know them. And I'm going to say something to you, that if you will focus on what you know, it will almost always change how you feel. All right? Did you get that? If you'll focus on what you know, it will almost always change how you feel. What do we know? Suffering produces 
endurance. That word endurance means to remain under. All right, when you endure a trial, you stay put to remain under. It is suffering that produces stick to That's where you get it. Suffering produces endurance. Now, endurance produces character. What is character? A person who has been tested and has passed the test. That's character. Have they been tested, right? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. This character of proven test-taking and character produces hope. What is hope? It's confident expectation, right? We might say that I hope a team wins a game. That's not hope. Hope is confident expectation. Uh, Let me quote Doug Moo, who's a a scholar, who says, Sufferings, rather than threatening or weakening hope, as we might expect to be the case, will instead increase our certainty in that hope. Hope, like a muscle, will not be strong if it goes unused. Hope, like a muscle, will not be strong if it goes unused. So what does this mean? All right, let me speak practically. When you need prayer, who do you seek out? Somebody who has suffered well. Somebody who has proven character, who has endured suffering. So, So we get this tiny little group of nesting dolls. We rejoice in suffering because it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope like a muscle uh, will not be strong if it doesn't, if it isn't used. I'm going to give you a prayer request right now. But you may have heard that Robin, my assistant, many of you know her. She's ministered to you for many years, was diagnosed with cancer. And it's very heavy, and it's hard. She'll have surgery in a couple of weeks. So I learned of this upon my return of the diagnosis. I reached out to Robin once I got back in town. Got back in town Thursday evening, I reached out to Robin. I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing well. I said, well, I'm not. She said, I'm going to be fine. I said, I'm not concerned about you. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) And she said, God has given me so much strength. Why? You know that old overused saying, it's not your first rodeo? That's why. It's not Robin's first time of suffering. She's suffered many years with migraines many years she already has proven character and guess what it's emerging now and if god is a good teacher and i would say he is amen i don't think he gives a final before he gives a quiz
I don't think he puts on us more than we can bear. Does that scripture say that? We rejoice in sufferings. Robin is watching by Facebook this morning just needing to stay away from, you know, all the mess floating around. We rejoice in suffering. And as we rejoice in suffering, final nest and all, we are not disappointed because God's love, God loves us through the Spirit. All right. This is the first time that these two key, key theological terms have shown up in the whole book of Romans. Two words, the love of God, or two phrases, the love of God and the Holy Spirit. So it's critical. If you're studying any book of the Bible, you, you look for when key theological themes emerge, because when they emerge for the first time, that, that uh, first mention of them guides you through an understanding of the rest of that book. God's love. Holy Spirit. What does it say about his love? What does it say about the Holy Spirit? God's Spirit has been, God's love has been poured. Now, you need to write this down. I don't think it's on the screen. It's in the perfect tense, meaning that the initial outpouring remains a permanent flood. All right. It's just tiny little things that matter. It's not a trickle, but it's a flood. Koshik, right? 24 gods, none of whom can do, in his own words, anything for him. But the one true God, through his Holy Spirit, pours love into your heart. That's a flood. A flood. Not a trickle, not a drop here and a drop there, but every single day, flood. 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 Verses 6, 7, and 8, not in our text, but certainly important for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly that's the love pouring isn't it from the cross for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person would would dare even to die but but god i love all those phrases in scripture but god shows his love for us in that while we were still what church while we were still what wow Christ died for us. That's love, isn't it? While we were still sinners, I, I quote uh, John Piper in his book, The Pleasures of God. Piper shares why God's love is more important than any other, in, or more superior than any other in life. He says, Sometimes we joke and say about marriage, well, the honeymoon is over, but that's because we are finite. We can't sustain a honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and handsome as we were then. We can't come up with enough new things to keep the relationship that fresh. 
But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride. He is talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasures and honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. He is trying to get into our hearts what he means when he says he rejoices over us with all his heart. And add to this that with God the honeymoon never ends He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love. And so he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level of intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personality and has decided he will keep what's good for us and change what isn't. He will always be as handsome as he ever was and he will see to it that we get more and more beautiful forever. And he is infinitely creative to think of new things to to do together so that there will be no boredom for the next trillion ages of millenniums. That's our God, amen? That's our God. So how is it that we as followers of Christ rejoice in suffering? How do we do it? You must learn to remind yourself, memorize these five verses, whatever it takes, since we have been justified. We have peace with God. We have access to God's grace. We rejoice in hope of glory. And we rejoice in sufferings. All because we have been justified. We are not disappointed because God loves us through the Spirit. Next week I'll preach from Psalm 57 on singing and suffering. We got to the Paris airport. This was before I met Koshik, our flight from Africa to Paris. We were there early. The sun had not yet come up, and so we're tired, of course. And we're walking through the airport. It's a sleek, modern airport, Charles de Gaulle. And uh, I see a piano sitting there, a white baby grand piano. And this thought occurred to me. In this secular place, in Europe is even more secular than we are in the United States, I'd love for the praises of God just to kind of ring out through this airport. So I decided to go play. So I sat down at the piano, and I had this thought, What if somebody's walking through the airport and maybe they've been far from God and they hear the tune of an old song, an old hymn. So for about 20 minutes, I played the praises of God. I I mixed one jazz tune in, just to be honest. But I played these songs. And... People would walk by, it was by one of those moving sidewalks, and they'd thumbs, you know, give me the, the thumbs up. Only three fell on their face looking at me, so, um, but they would, 
give me the thumbs up and some would stop. This one young girl sat and just listened for a little bit. Our plane was getting ready to board. I got ready to leave. And she, she uh, came up to me and said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, um, but here's the song I did. And as I was praying through the sermon this morning, I thought it was fitting for us to sing this together. Because some of you are suffering in huge ways. This sermon is meant to encourage you. And these words are powerful. And uh, did a little digging on this old, old hymn and discovered that it made it to the United States. Are you ready for this? By way of a missionary from India. <laughs> I was like, wow. So, would you stand? And let's lift our voices to the Lord. Sing it out loud, church. stars Does he love you, church? Does he love you? I'm going to sing this, and when I think.
verse Neil when Christ shall come with shout of sin you gave us access though we we limp in life we sit at the table of grace we stand by grace and when suffering comes our way we rejoice and we can even sing in the time of suffering how great you are knowing that one day you our groom will come and get your bride and your intensity of love continues to pour just pour flood into us oh i pray that we as your people would experience that this week that we would wake 
with your love just pouring. How great you are. How great you are. And all God's people say, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. See you at youth. Reach out tonight. Your name.